Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, it's my pleasure to begin to introduce the book of Numbers. That's where we'll be over the next few months. And, um, you know, it's great to go back to the Old Testament. I think the book of Numbers is often overlooked, a little bit forgotten. So it's really great that we can go and have a look at this very important, very significant book, as every book of the Bible is. And it's great to spend time in the New Testament, but let's go back to the Old. Let's begin to draw from the riches of the Old Testament and this really important and significant book. And of course, everything that we read, the context of it is all important. And that's what I want to do today. I'm not going to look too much at numbers today. We'll spend more time doing that next week. But I really want us to look at the context for numbers. You know, no book of the Bible was ever meant to be read in isolation. We read the Bible in its fullness. We read everything in the context of the overall story. And the book of Numbers needs to therefore be given a little bit of a background. And I'd just like to talk a bit about the story so far, starting in Genesis and bringing us all the way up to the beginning of Numbers. And in the next week, I'd like to look at the book of Numbers, do a bit of an overview and pick out some prophetic pictures of Christ that we find in the book of Numbers. But let's go back. Let's go back to Genesis 1. You know, this wonderful poem that describes creation. And in the Bible, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created those things. And everything that God made was good. And he formed and then he filled what he formed. And in the fullness of his creation, as God speaks among himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they say, let us make man in our image. The pinnacle of creation is humanity. Adam and Eve are literally planted into this incredible garden and God gives them this commission to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to rule and subdue it. And just as God had formed and filled, God uh, God had given, given Adam and Eve the job to form and to fill. Adam was to form and to take the garden out and Eve with her fruitfulness was to fill it and beautify it. And together they would bring and establish God's rule and God's glory into the earth. The tragic thing is that they fall and we haven't got time to consider all of that. But what we do know is that they chose to disobey God, to live to please themselves. And as a result, sin entered into the world. Death entered into the human experience and mankind is cursed. Creation to a degree is cursed. Sin has come and there's a separation between man and God and Adam and Eve are kicked out. They're evicted from the Garden of Eden. They're kicked out from being in God's presence and and being at the heart of his blessing. And to stop them returning back into the garden, you can see in this image, there's an angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword that would stand at the gate of the garden to prevent them from going back in. They were removed from God's blessing and God's presence. And sin had begun to impact the individual in a tragic and significant way that would flow into the rest of humanity and impact the future from there on. And so Adam and Eve sin and they fall, sin enters into the individual and the inevitability of that is it flows into the family. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain looked after crops and Abel looked after flocks. And Abel came and he brought God the very best, the best of his flocks, the best portion from his best animals. He offers them to God as a sacrifice and God honors that. Cain, however, just kind of gives God what he can. 
and he doesn't really care about what he's doing. And, 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 and in that, he begins, begins to become jealous about his brother Abel being blessed and knowing God's favor. And instead of addressing his problem and, and, and learning from his brother, he conspires to kill him. And that's exactly what happens. Even though God warns him not to do it, he kills his brother. And there's this tra- tragic murder that takes place in our Bibles as um, sin spreads from the individual into the family. This degeneration has begun to be known in a, a wider sense. As we read through our Bibles, we meet this man. This is a, a meant to be a picture of Enoch. Genesis 5 talks about him, that he walked in close relationship with God. And so close was this relationship that God actually takes him to heaven before he physically dies. So before Enoch physically dies, he gets taken into heaven. I can only think of Elijah and probably Jesus being like that. You know, Jesus is in his resurrected body and Elijah taken into heaven that you read about in Kings. But Enoch walks closely with God. There was still an opportunity for men and women to walk closely with God. However, sin begins to pollute. This toxic effect of sin impacts the earth in such a way that God even says that he's sorry that he ever made man. It's a tragic verse in Genesis 6. And God needs to bring a judgment and he's going to cleanse the earth, send a flood to literally wash the earth clean of the pollution of sin and finds a righteous man. And this man with his wife and his three sons and their wives are saved as they build an ark that will carry them through the floods of judgment. It's a picture of baptism. But Noah and his family, along with the animals that God has called to, for him to save and preserve from judgment are carried through the floodwaters. They're bobbing around in this box for about a year before they land. And finally, Noah is given the commission that Adam was given to be fruitful, to multiply and to fill the earth. And you read about Noah's sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth and what they do. And the tragedy is by the time you get to Genesis 11, the people of the earth have decided not to spread and not to be scattered and to fill the earth, but rather to keep themselves together, to build a city and to build a tower in their honour. And so God has to move. God from heaven comes down and he interrupts the plans of these people who, who all speak one language and he causes them to speak different languages and they are scattered throughout the earth. God brings about his command by intervening. But we see this degeneration started in the individual, spread into the family, into the nation and into the earth. Genesis 11 is this point of ultimate degeneration. But where there's degeneration, God brings about regeneration and restoration. And just where degeneration began in the individual, God brings about regeneration in the individual by calling one man, a man called Abram. Abram lives in Ur, great name for a place, Ur in the Chaldeans over in Babylon, east of the promised land. And he calls him in Genesis 12 to go to a land that he has for him, a place where he'll be blessed, a place where he'll be fruitful, a place where he he and his family will be blessed and be a blessing. And so Abraham goes and he travels with his wife, Sarah, and their family all the way over to Canaan, to the promised land. And it's in that place that he begins to offer sacrifices to God and begins to learn about how this land is promised to him and to his ancestors that they're going to be blessed and be a blessing. And in Genesis 15, we have this incredible point where Abraham and God have a covenant made together. Abraham takes a cow and a ram and a goat. He cuts them in half and a turtle dove and another bird and he lays them all out. 
and then he falls into a sleep and God comes in a vision and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a multitude of a nation that's going to be blessed and be a blessing. You're going to be a huge multitude, but that your children will live in a foreign land. They'll live in exile, but I will deliver them and I'll bring judgment on the nation that's enslaved them. But they'll be in slavery for 400 years. And God confirms this covenant with these two items, this flame, uh, flaming torch and a smoking cooking pot that God causes these two items to move between the animals as a sign of the covenant. Abraham, above all else, wanted a son and a son with his beloved wife, Sarah. And when they were very old, finally, that comes to pass. In Genesis 18, God arrives and promises that they would have a child. And Sarah looks at her own body and she looks at Abraham's body and she laughs. But God's promise is true. You know, this supernatural call of the individual was going to flow into the family and the family was going to know a regeneration. And there was a supernatural conception of Isaac, baby laughter. He's born and he becomes the the next in line, if you like, to bring about the answer to God's promises. Isaac grows and he's blessed. He lives in the blessing that his father lived in and more. He, make, he, he scatters seed and has a hundredfold bumper crops in return. He digs wells and he knows the blessing of God. And he marries Rebecca and they continue to enjoy the riches and the blessing that God had promised. Isaac and Rebecca have two sons, Jacob and Esau, twin boys. The first to come out was Esau, but closely behind him, grabbing onto his heel, is Jacob. You know, Esau was entitled to so many blessings because of being the firstborn, even, if, even though it was by just a short space of time. But here we see the story where Jacob actually buys uh, Esau's birthright with a bowl of soup. That birthright basically meant that he would take on the family business. That went to the firstborn, but Jacob buys it off his brother because he's so hungry for a bowl of soup. And then he goes and he tricks his old and now blind father Isaac into giving him the blessing. The blessing that would be given to the firstborn is given to the secondborn, Jacob. He steals Esau's blessing. Esau is furious. And so Jacob has to flee. He has to run. And he's a man who's always struggling, always trying to get the upper hand. He has an encounter with God at Bethel. And then he goes and he works for his uncle Laban. And there he meets his beloved Rachel. And Jacob and Rachel marry. Some other stuff happens in between as well. And finally, it's time for them to return back to the land. And Jacob knows that he's got to face his brother Esau, probably 16 years after he'd stolen his blessing and bought his birthright. He has to face him. But the night before, as he's anxious and worried, he meets with him or God meets with him. And there's this bizarre story of a wrestling match between Jacob and God. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And finally, God blesses him and he pops his hip out. So he'll always have this limp to remember this um, confrontation and time that he has with God and God renames him. This man who needed supernatural care has been renamed and he's called Israel. He becomes the, the name of the nation that will come from him. Can you see the supernatural call of Abraham, the individual, flows into the family with a supernatural conception of Isaac and now the supernatural care of Jacob has led to God's promise of flowing from the individual into the family, into the origins of a nation, the nation of Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons, two of whom he has with his beloved Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And we pick up the story of Joseph. 
this man who needed supernatural control. You know, Joseph is hated by his brothers because he's treated well by his father. He has visions and dreams that seem to promote his place among the family that even his father questions. And his brothers beat him and sell him off and tell their father that actually he's been murdered. And Joseph is taken into Egypt. But it's in Egypt that God has, in his sovereignty and his control, has taken him to prepare the way for what was going to happen next. And even though Joseph goes through difficult times of being falsely accused, of being imprisoned and forgotten and lost, God raises him up to become a man of great power and significance. The second most powerful man in probably the most powerful nation on the planet. He's the prime minister of Egypt. And there he gets to um, provide food, not just for the nation of Egypt, but for the nations. The whole world is impacted. Can you see God's blessing from the individual of Abraham into the family with Isaac, into the nation with Jacob, and now into the whole world through Joseph? supernatural regeneration. God is a God of restoration. We see that. And and that's where Genesis ends. Genesis 50 ends with Joseph and the family living in Goshen, the most fertile part of Egypt. And then we come into the book of Exodus. 400 years or thereabouts have passed. The Pharaohs have forgotten about the good things that Joseph has done. The Hebrews are being very fruitful and multiplying and filling not the earth, but Egypt. And Pharaoh is concerned and so he, he makes this terrible command that all firstborn boys, the boys should be thrown into the River Nile under the age of two years old. And Jochebed, Moses' mum, sort of obeys. She puts him in a basket and then puts him into the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and pulls him out of the River Nile and there she provides a home for him. She causes him to grow up in the palace of Pharaoh. You know, the man that had intended to kill Moses actually ends up feeding him and clothing him and educating him. God has a great sense of humor. And Moses grows and he becomes strong in word and action, it tells us in Acts 7. And he thinks it's time to deliver God's people at the age of 40, but it doesn't go as he planned and he has to run away. And he's a shepherd out in the fields of Midian for 40 more years. And it's that point that God calls him, meets him at a burning bush and sends him back to Egypt to deliver his people. And so Moses with Aaron And a few tricks up his sleeve, (laughs) a few signs that God has given him, goes back to Egypt. And God brings about judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Righteous judgment. Sends 10 plagues. The first plague was to turn the river Nile to blood red. The last but one plague, the ninth plague, was to make the sun completely dark. And in that time, God is saying, I'm bigger than your gods. I'm greater than the great Nile God happy. I'm greater than the great sun God Ra. I'm greater than your gods. He overpowers them. And then the final judgment, the 10th judgment, is the death of the firstborn. And we know that God instructs his people to paint the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, to eat that meat from that lamb. Because that night, an angel of death will pass over the nation and all firstborn boys will be killed. Even firstborn animals, male animals were killed. But they were saved by the blood that was painted on the doorposts. The blood of the lamb saved them from death, saved them from judgment. And then finally, they're allowed to leave and they come to the Red Sea very quickly. And at that point, Pharaoh has changed his mind and he sent his armies to go and bring them back into slavery. And what does God do? He says to Moses, hold your staff over the waters and the waters part. God's people cross over on dry land. A cloud appears behind them to protect them. And then as the Egyptian charioteers try to chase them, the waters crash down 
and drown the enemy. Their slave masters are cut off from them. And God begins to lead them towards the promised land. They've been saved at Passover and they've passed through the waters of baptism. Picture of being born again and a picture of water baptism. And God begins to lead them, a pillar of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. Can you remember how God confirmed his covenant with Abraham? It was a a, a flaming torch and a smoking cooking pot. Those two images that he'd shown him then of how he would deliver his people, God actually fulfills literally by leading his people out with these two pillars. And Moses and the people are led to Mount Sinai. And they spend about a year uh, camped around Mount Sinai. And it's at that point that Moses is called up to the mountain. And God gives him the laws and God gives him the instruction for building the tabernacle. All of this is in Exodus. And sure enough, Moses does that. You know, the last third of Exodus is all about this. How to build a tent. Why? Because the tent was going to be the place where God would presence himself among his people. It would become the heart of the nation where God would be present again. So important. He gives them the laws and the Levitical instructions so that the priests knew how to conduct things well, ceremonially and religiously and morally among the nation. God wanted a clean people and a clean nation, a nation that represented him in the the earth, that was blessed to be a blessing. And so God instructs them to build a tabernacle, And to make this structure, the Ark of the Covenant, along with other furnishings for the tabernacle. But this was the pinnacle. This sat in the most holy place. The Ark upon which was the mercy seat. Two golden cherubim. Can you remember the last time I mentioned cherubim was way back in Genesis 3 when a cherubim was there to stop them entering back into God's presence. Well, now the cherubim are not holding up a flaming sword, stopping them from entering the presence. Instead, they got their wings over their heads, they're bowed down, and that is where God presences himself among his people. The mercy seat, right at the center of the nation. And here we have a picture that illustrates that. The tabernacle was now built. In in Exodus, we have the instructions for that and and the laws. Then we have in Leviticus, the the handbook, if you like, for the Levites, the priests. And now God was calling them to position themselves around this place of his presence. And from that place, he would lead them in glory into the promised land. And that's where the book of Numbers begins. And so over the next a few months we'll explore this really significant and important book you know um, I think maybe one of the reasons people don't necessarily read numbers is because even the name isn't that inspiring and also there are a number of censuses that take place that are often quite difficult to read but when we read numbers we'll see next week the overarching structure of a really significant and a really important book And in particular next week, we'll be looking at the prophetic pictures that we can find, not just in Numbers, in every book of the Bible, but particularly in the book of Numbers that reveal to us Jesus Christ. If you like, we're going to do some gospel encounters in the book of Numbers. So I really look forward next week to going through that with you. I trust this has been helpful just to give a little bit of context of the story of how we are, where we are, how we've got to this point And I really hope as well that over the next few weeks um, that you'll spend time reading this really important and very significant book. So thanks so much for watching today, kids. I hope you've enjoyed looking at the, the, the stuff that you've received from Lisa and the Hot Rock team. Be really blessed. Have a fantastic week. And Lord, I just pray that as we read this wonderful book that you'll speak to us 
really clearly through your Holy Spirit and that Lord through it all that we'll see that we are called to choose you to obey you to honor you and to choose life thank you Jesus amen be blessed thanks for joining us today search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching